Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is Joshua Khan with the news. It's been a slow news day around town, and I'm coming to the end of the night shift. So I thought... Josh, I, I got this blueberry muffin with extra crumbles. That That's exactly what I was thinking about. You know, the only thing better would actually be... Oh, and this non-fat, sugar-free, vanilla, shaken iced latte. Uh, yeah, it's weird. I don't usually want ice drinks, but right now... I also turned down the heating pad I placed under your chair since you were getting hot. Your feet get cold. See, I think... You need HR? I'll make the call. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. This is Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King book club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Khan, alongside CM Alexander. Hello, everyone. And today we are joined by a very special guest, an award-winning filmmaker, actor, cinephile, co-host of the Horror Movie Survival Guide podcast, and currently fundraising for her Stephen King dollar baby short film, I Know What You Need. Please welcome to the show, Julia Marchesi. Hello! Julia, thank you so much for taking the time in the middle of... I'm sure a hectic fundraising time for you to come and talk to us. I am absolutely thrilled. Uh, I love talking about Stephen King. So getting to talk about him and you guys wanting to, cause my friends are kind of sick of it by now. <laughs> it's been a lot. And so now I could talk to people who really want to hear what I have to say about Stephen King. So it's really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> we are here for geeking out about Stephen King for Excellent. sure. All right. Before we really dive into this, we have a couple of questions that we like to ask everyone that we interview. They're very important questions to us. The first is, what was your very very first introduction to Stephen King? Uh, Adaptation, book, comic, anything? Uh, So the first Stephen King book that I ever read was Pet Cemetery. Um, And that was when I was 11 years old. And that uh, blew my mind. And it went on to it right after that. And then it was even like more of what I was, and so it, it's still one of my favorites. So Pet Cemetery, the book got me into Pet Cemetery, the movie. And before that, I had always been kind of a Brady cat. Like I didn't like scary things. Like I couldn't even watch the thriller video. I was, it was bad. So then this, I really liked Pet Cemetery, and I really got into it. And then this started this whole Stephen King, like the first wave of Stephen King obsessions. Uh, and I just, I knew, I know I was a little too young for it, but I also know <laughs> that I, I wasn't though, because I, I did this big, like, I just kind of went from like Judy Bloom, like right to Stephen King. There was kind of no in between, like there was never like a goosebumps phase or anything like that. Like I just went right to the hard stuff. That's hardcore. <laughs> have you gone, have you gone back to Pet Cemetery like as an adult? Uh, the book or the, the book? Yes. Yes. How, does it feel different reading it as an adult like because i I imagine at 11 you know the those hard-hitting things of like grief and mourning are are hard to to get i think it'd be different if i had children i think i would see that story totally different and i had to because it's all about losing a child and how that affects you and you know this kind of grief and that's something that you know nobody wants to think about but something that as a childless so i can't even imagine yeah how sad that would be so yeah i don't know it doesn't seem very different to me i guess it maybe i was always kind of a warped weirdo <laughs> <laughs> i have cats so it's okay. definitely that different. Was, 
basically the same thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just like having kids, right? <laughs> Do you have a what we call a Stephen King moment, and that's something that was either disturbing or intriguing, something that stuck with you. It could be something that is mundane or more overt from one of his books or movies that has always stayed with you. Uh, it's going to sound silly. So I love the Dark Tower series and we can talk about that because I have a whole thing with that. Um, but <laughs> Roland, of course, uh, mm-hmm. is my favorite character. And the scene where he gets to have soda for the first time, it's, it's just this- <laughs> moment of like he just loses his fucking mind for a second and he's just like oh my god and he can't get enough of it and i was like that's one of the most humanizing moments of roland in Mm -hmm. the whole thing and i just it's something about it delights me and it's such like a tiny scene that i'm sure nobody else cares about but i was like yeah that would totally (laughs) blow your mind soda I had a very similar moment with Roland when he discovers uh, guns and ammo in America. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this is the best day of his life. <laughs> oh, and as, as I understand it, you like binge read the Dark Tower when you discovered it? Okay, so so what happened was that, you know, I'd been a Stephen King fan for all my life, but I'd never tackled the, the masterwork. And so finally I decided that I was, had to be done. So I started to read it. I got to um, the 11th stanza in Song of Susanna where they're about to meet somebody very exciting. And I was like, I can't, I can't turn the page. I'm too excited. I don't want this. And how can I prolong it? So I was like, okay, he has all these books that are related to the Dark Tower. And, you know, we have characters coming in and whatnot. So if I read them all, then I'll understand every single reference. <laughs> so over the last two and a half years, I've been on a quest to read everything related to the Dark Tower, which is over 40 books mm-hmm. um, and short stories. And it's been the greatest literary puzzle piece of my entire life because I don't know still how everything fits together. But knowing that there's this like puzzle piece that we're putting that's going to put, you know, this have this beautiful thing at the end, I'm... It's incredible. It's it's amazing, and I and I'm still not done. Like there keeps there keep being more, and I'm like, oh oh, I, this one, this one, because I in my head I, I feel like both Castle Rock and Derry are connected because mm-hmm. um, they show up in a bunch of other things. So then I'm like, okay, anything that takes place or mentions Castle Rock or Derry has to be. So then it just keeps like getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So I'm like, aren't you done? And I'm like, no, man, I'm still going. But it's it's wonderful. That's amazing. That's- so then when I, so I still haven't finished the Dark Tower series. So like when I finish everything, then I'll finish the series and then go on to the Marvel omnibuses and the companions. Nice. So we're going to have to talk again. Yeah. <laughs> Please okay. reach out to us and, so we can do this interview again when you finish the final book. I would be <laughs> delighted, of course. Did you, have you picked up the, uh, the graphic novels by chance? Yes. Gotcha. So I have, those are after, um, after yeah. I finish. So they're nice. sitting by my side. They're enormous. I'm very excited. To <laughs> and honestly, this is going to probably upset some geeks out there, but it will probably, it's the only Marvel bus omnibus I will ever buy. <laughs> That's the only one I own. Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm not really a comic book kind of person, but I was like, I will. Yes. I don't care how much it costs. Please bring it on. Uh, when you sent us uh, your information, I checked out your your movie out of print. The I watched the trailer for it. It looks amazing, so I need to find it and watch it. It's uh, on Amazon Prime. Is it? And uh, yeah, and a bunch of other sites is on Canopy and a bunch of other things. So. That's outstanding. Well, I know what I'm doing after we get done here. Excellent. <laughs> uh, so, what started your love of filmmaking in the first place? So I've always been an actor ever since I was a kid, but I've always loved film. I was a drama and film major in uh, college. And then I, but I'd never really, I never really, I directed stage plays, but I'd never directed film before. And so it wasn't until out of print that I was like, I really 
decided to step up to this because it was a direct, it was a documentary that I felt like only I could, could make in this way. Cause it was right when uh, we were switching over from, from 35 millimeter digital and it was kind of being swept under the rug. And I really didn't feel that was right because I feel like it's this gigantic shift in culture. You're changing from a physical medium to a digital medium. And what are the long-term effects of that? You think about how fast our tech upgrades and how things get obsolete and that changes everything. So went on to, I crowdfunded that film as well and went on to make the film, got to interview amazing people, uh, Edgar Wright and Ryan Johnson and John Landis and Joe Dante and Stuart Gordon and um, on and on, amazing people. And then got to make the film Half and Digital, Half and 35. I got a 35 millimeter print made, which now lives the Academy Archive. And then it just played kind of where it deserved to play, kind of universities and art house cinemas and little um, archive art archives and that was my first film so that's going to be this is a total shift because i'm going from documentary to narrative feature that i'm also adapting so it's a whole different ball of wax i think i'm up to the task (laughs) i am very i'm so excited to follow your journey making this movie speaking of adaptations because they are they're such a different beast especially with a fan base as loving and dedicated as stephen king so of the the Stephen King adaptations that exist, what is your favorite, or in your opinion, the best Stephen King adaptation? I have to pick one. No. One. And that's, <laughs> so all the questions that Josh ever asks me, I usually yeah. have five answers. Right. Okay. You fit the, in. I'm, yeah, I'm really <laughs> used to having the most amount of answers. <laughs> okay. So I use um, my podcast, actually, to watch a lot of the because there's actually quite a few Stephen King films I haven't seen. Like, I just recently watched Cujo for the first time. Um, I just recently watched Christine for the first time um, and fell in love with Keith Gordon. Like I couldn't even tell you. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Um, I love, uh, I love the new uh, it chapter one. Mm -hmm. Let me be specific. (laughs) Uh, You know, and, but that, I think I love that so much because it feels so much like stand by me, right? It's just kind of this nastier version of stand by me, but you still get this feeling with kids. And that's the most important part is this connection. And, it being one of my very favorites, I didn't, although I love the 1990 version and, and you know, Tim Curry and Dennis mm-hmm. Christopher and all these amazing actors, but it's a TV movie. So you, I'm a firm believer that, I mean, TV different is different now, but then you can't really do Stephen King right on television because it needs right. to be gory and violent and shocking. And if you don't get that, it doesn't come across correctly. So I think that this chapter one really did that well with, you know, you have this very shocking violence, but then they also... I believe all these children and their friendships and everybody was just kind of exactly how I pictured them in the book. And Sophia Lillis is luminous as Beverly. It's, it's awesome. Pennywise too, you know, and, <laughs> and, and then there's that whole like kind of sort of hot for Pennywise thing that went around. And I, like, I kind of get it. Like, kind of get it um <laughs> it's embarrassing that's <to> <laughs> no, okay josh was trying to ask me my opinion of the new stand miniseries trailer and all i could get out was that i'm so excited because there's a scars garden <laughs> and he was yeah. counting on me to have a real answer and i'm like no that's a real answer full, full stop that's it and then we just talked about true blood for like an hour yeah no, I uh, I recently I binge listened the last few episodes of your podcast where you were watching cool. several uh, Stephen King movies, and I just want to take a second to say I'm so happy you and I are on the same page about one of the most divisive things in a Stephen King adaptation: okay. the ending of The Mist. 
That's the best ending ever. It's the most amazing <laughs> ending ever. Well, I mean, because my, yeah, it's really in my top five now. And if I'm such a sicko, like, the, you know, <laughs> the down, the down, like the more, uh, the most un-Hollywood endings are my favorite ones, right? Like those ones blow my mind. And that one, like, if you would have seen me watching it, because it was my first time watching it, and it gets to the end. And I was like this, <gasps> just like hands pressed to face, a giant smile on my face. So happy. And then and I was like, yeah, and, Have you, you know, my co-host was like, uh-uh, no, I, was like, well, I don't know. It's, it's, and I, and when we posted that episode, there was the like, people were like, oh, I was on board until the end. And then there were people who were like, I was on board. And then the end, you know, like, and it was the difference and opinion. I get it. I, it's because you're expecting the story right it has a whole different ending a very hopeful ending and this yeah not hopeful ending but the, the interesting thing was that we did the last four we did uh cell cujo dr sleep and the mist and every four of those the ending's different they change it every time i, was like, I did not realize that? that have you watched the black and white version of the mist i haven't but i hear it's amazing it so is i, need I to have get on that frank darabod but he's the original like dollar baby god right like he, mm-hmm. he was the one who made the dollar baby Stephen King saw it and was like, you, sir. And then like, <laughs> the, re- the rest is history. So I think that's kind of, you know, the underlying pull of all of the Dollar Baby ones. Like he, because part of the contract is that you have to send him a copy of the finished film. Mm-hmm. So you know he's going to watch it. So that's kind of the cool thing about making it is like anyone involved in it, Stephen King's going to see it, like see your end product and your version of his story. Um, and that he still wants to watch those is amazing. Yeah, that's so wild. I wish I was popular and good enough that people would just remake my things and send them to me. That'd be amazing. But I like, I think of it from Stephen King's point of view and like, because you know, you're taking the same source material and then everybody's going to have a different version of that story in their head. Mm -hmm. So the version of, I know what you need that he wrote is not going to be the version that I make because it's filtered through my brain, which is a totally different brain. But that's the cool thing about even something like you have, We'll take the two pet cemeteries, right? The new one, which we will overpass, uh, and, the, and the original, the Mary Lambert, which is amazing. But those are that's the exact same source material, but then the movie's just completely different. And so I find that fascinating. And I'm sure he does too, is to say, I wrote this with what I had, but then you see it totally differently. And and the contract has no boundaries as far as what you can change, what you can't change. You can do whatever you want with it. Um, and just take a kernel of it and run with it if you want to. But I felt very strongly it needs to be very similar. So a lot of the dialogue is word for word, and it's a lot of just kind of me filling in gaps in the story more than anything else. But I want, as a constant reader, like I know how important it is to have it be faithful and also have it made with love. And there is that kind of pull of like, I could change the ending. Like, what if this happened? Or what if she did this? And But that's not my, it's not, that's not the ending. You know, that's his, I want it to be his ending. So my ending is is pretty pretty similar. Nice. Now there are a lot of pitfalls you can go into with adaptation. So we talked about the best. Now let's talk about the worst. What do you think are the just the bottom barrel Stephen King adaptations that you okay. hope you will avoid being anywhere near? There are some that I will never watch again. I've seen <laughs> once, and I'm like, okay, never see that one again. The New Pet Cemetery, as we mentioned, I just felt that. I, the actor who played Lewis just didn't connect with him at all. Didn't care. He didn't yeah. seem really affected. Like I didn't buy it. And so, you know, when you have Dale Midkiff who is sell and Lewis Creed and I'm like oh, on board and this, you know, the new one, um, uh, same with the, the Chloe Grace Moretz, Carrie, she mm-hmm. was just not 
she never experienced being a nerd, like never experienced being bullied. I don't think so. She, I don't I feel like she got it. Um, like this is basic. Did. And then Dreamcatcher is quite a film. <laughs> <laughs> I read the book and I was like, Ooh, yeah, this is going to be on my low end of the Stephen King scale. And I understand he's like just getting out of his accident. He's like getting back on his feet and this mm-hmm. is the novel that did it. So I will a hundred percent say yay to that novel for that, but it's just not very good. I see. I, we've talked about this before. I struggle with Dreamcatcher, and I'll go back and watch it every few few years because I love Damien Lewis. I, I still don't know how I feel about the movie, though. It's so uh, I, I get something out of it. I don't know what it is, though. And I'm going to throw another question to you. Besides, I know what you need. If there was another, if you could uh, see an adaptation of something that has not been adapted yet, what would you like to see? talisman hell yes i love the talisman and black house Mm -hmm. jack sawyer is one of my very favorite characters i i would really like to push for a jack sawyer jake chambers team up yeah where they go on huck and finn like adventures (laughs) in the territories (laughs) do you believe that they are twinners oh i never thought of it possibly yeah Yeah. i would just i just i i the talisman is amazing and i understand why you it's been, it would be hard to make because it's mm-hmm. real special effects heavy and that would be an intense one. But, you know, it's it's awesome to be, you would be able to do it and then if you wanted to, do the sequel right after. Um, it's not one that gets a lot of play. Also, there are ones like, I love The Long Walk. It's one of my very, very favorites. I know that there's like one in production, quote unquote, which mm-hmm. I don't know where, how far along they are with that. It makes me a little nervous though because it's very precious to me and I, it's, I feel like it'd be a very hard film to translate to the screen especially when you have so much of it in a character's head and it's about how he's feeling and what he's thinking. And I'm sure it can be done correctly. So I would like to see it, but I'm a little nervous to see it. Did you see the Dark Tower movie? I have not. People have told me not to watch that movie. So I will not. I Yeah, I would say watch it if you can completely and fully detach yourself from Roland, which I can't do. <laughs> so. Well, I, I mean, Idris Elba as Roland seems... Completely amazing to me. It's the he was great. McConaughey factor. That yes. I have a yeah. And, and it, was rock yeah, solid. I, I would see him again. I would love for them to try that again. And he can be Roland because he did a fantastic job. I couldn't deal with the flag of it all. And <laughs> not well, that he's, he's just bad, mad, but McConaughey's just not a scary guy. Right. He's at all. not. And and just the approach they took, I wasn't a huge fan of. But I watched I it really because like I have to, to see, watch yeah. all of those. I would really like to see Michael Shannon. Yes. Ooh. Yes. As, as flag. Cause he can be scary. Oh my fuck. gosh. He would be perfect. All right. That's my, that's my ship casting. <laughs> Michael Shannon. If you hear this, please you be flag. put it out there. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk for a minute about your podcast. Cause obviously we love podcasts. <laughs> so you have a uh, horror movie survival guide is the name of your podcast. It's a weekly podcast where you do deep dives into your favorite horror movies and i'm curious what draws you so strongly to the horror genre uh so i guess you know when i was i feel like there's this kind of catharsis in it like this kind of feeling i think it's very similar to like riding on an amusement park ride where you get this exhilaration but it's a safe exhilaration because you're in you're not going to be hurt you know it's all going to go away when the movie's over so (laughs) it's this way to be excited and 
especially when you watch it in a crowded audience, which I know is impossible right now. But when you do, <laughs> but it, but it is my honestly, like if you were to ask me, one of my favorite things in the world, one of them would be watching a horror movie opening night with a packed crowd who's going bananas, which mm-hmm. I did for it, and I, it was just people were losing their minds, <laughs> and it was amazing. And then I went back and I saw it like five times in the theater to experience that because people were like people were walking out, and like it was really incredible. But then I felt creepy because I realized like I was beating on fear like Pennywise. And like, <laughs> <laughs> That's <Yeah>. beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so the podcast started. So um, my original co-host was my, uh, so I, I have two best friends uh, who I've done the show with Marion and Terry. Marion, I met in college and she had never seen a horror movie ever. So I decided to show her Nightmare on Elm Street and see what she thought. And she loved it. And the thing that she loved most about it is Nancy and what a badass she is. And that she has this survivalist, you know, she's like, I'm into survival, right? Like her idea is like, I'm just going to do it. And I'm not, you know, like she's to my favorite final girl. So Marion was like, Are there other, is this a thing? And I was like, yeah, the final girl. Like, so she said, if we watch enough horror movies, maybe we'll learn how to survive. So that was the impetus. So we ended up our senior year of college. We watched every horror movie in the horror section of our local video store. <laughs> a notebook. It was intense. So we had like a rating system and the whole bit. That was the impetus for the show. And then Marion uh, left and Terry came on and Terry's a newbie to the horror genre. So pretty much everything she's seeing is she's seeing for the first time. And the first horror movie I showed her was Hellraiser, which I was a little nervous about because I was like, that's pretty intense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the a great that intro. Uncle Frank came on because Terry's thing is creepy uncles. So like, <laughs> so like he opened the door and she was like, oh, Uncle Frank. And I was like, oh, my. What a very specific thing that you wouldn't run into often. Yeah. 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 So she really loved it. And, and then I've never have, I've never met another horror fan that she laughs at it. So we were watching it. The end, like Jesus wept that entire. She was laughing, and I was like, "Wow, I thought you would be like scarred." But she was having a, gra- a grand time, so she discovered that she's a huge horror hound as well. I am dying to ask you then two questions. First, okay. best Nightmare on Elm Street. First one. I'm I'm a two lover. I love one, but two. Really, my you favorite. love two? I love two. Interesting. I, I just love him as the final girl. I think that's so cool. <laughs> uh, best Halloween. First one. So I'm, I mean, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty OG. See, uh, Halloween uh, is not my favorite of series. And that is because they never give us the proper Michael Myers explanation that I want. <laughs> like, I can shoot him six times. He's going to get up and walk away. Why? He's pure evil. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, but, but what? Like, it just doesn't, and the, the, and the specific, this is so, uh, see, this is my, my thing, like, into like tiny little specific moments in movies. But uh, the, when Michael Myers puts the sheet over with the glasses, mm-hmm. what is that? Like, <laughs> he's, if, he, if he's just pure evil and all he wants to do is kill people, what is that? <laughs> That's like a whole different, and no, but no Halloween fan I've met can ever <laughs> answer that question. If you can answer that question, I'd be delighted to know, like, it's, what is going he, through Michael's head when he does that? He it, wants to look smart. It's, I think it's just because he's like a he's like a fun wacky guy. <laughs> Both of like, our answers suck. My, my Michael Myers is, is just like he thinks everyone's having as much fun as he is. See, I, that is what I think. So those aren't my favorite either, but I think of them often because I love Halloween Three: Season of the Witch, which it was meant to be an anthology, but they did a sequel first. Yeah, so it threw you can't people do off. that, man. You can't be like, we're going to be a wacky anthology yes. series now. Just kidding. Amen. See, this is why I like Julia. <laughs> we're, we are I know on the same page. 
I know it's a very divisive film. I know people are super into it. Uh, The Tom Atkins (laughs) factor, I get it, but I I feel like that. It's the same thing. Like I love Final, like uh, Friday the Thirteenth for the final chapter. The final chapter. (laughs) Right. We all knew that was a lie. Yes. Man, let's let's get into the real meat of uh, why we brought you on the show today because okay. you oh, you're doing something amazing. You get to do a dollar baby. Having the chance to be granted a dollar baby has to be an amazing experience. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. Prior to this moment cuz obviously this is like peak king stuff. Do yeah. you have anything like a crowning king achievement or collectible or anything like your prized king moment or possession? Well, I actually went to on a pilgrimage to Maine last autumn because I'd never been there and I'd read about it, you know, all these years. I, you know, you go to like Powell and Portland and Bangor and all these places and it was magical. It was like walking through his novels. Um, I went to on the SK tours in Bangor and they take you, I mean, because Bangor is basically dairy. Yeah. You know, it's all kind of laid out exactly like in the story. So I'm like, oh my God, there's the canals. Oh my God, there's the Paul Bunyan. There's the storm <laughs> pipe. There's, you know, Stan's birdbath. Like it's all there. So I was just losing my mind. Uh, Pennywise's drain and like, oh, there's, Be- there's Bev's house. And it's amazing. <laughs> so you got to see Stephen King's house, you know, which is epic. And just driving through that state because I had actually, so I was um, born and raised in Las Vegas, and then I moved to California. So I'd actually never seen a changing of the leaves before. Oh, wow. uh, so it was my first time seeing that, and I was it made it was so beautiful, but it also made me very angry that I had <laughs> not seen one. And I was like, people get to see this every year, so lucky. But the the beauty of the state is just like you drive, and there's like there's a little river, and like there's this beautiful house, and there's this field and meadow and they're just everywhere. And I live right smacked up in the middle of Hollywood. So like that is as far away as you get kind of <laughs> geographically. And I just was in love with it. Like those were such a, it was, I was only there for like a week, but it was magic. That sounds really, uh, that's a high on my list of things I want to do is go take the, the tour. Yeah. That, I've, uh, Jamie and Stu who run the tour are incredible. And they're, they, so we're in the tour bus and I'm like in the front seat wearing my Stephen King rule shirt, like <laughs> bouncing up and down like a little girl. And we're in the Pet Cemetery Cemetery. And then the van turns the corner and I see the flag sign. And I went, flags! And just screamed <laughs> completely involuntarily. And then clapped my hands over my mouth. I just couldn't help it. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I'm sorry. That's amazing. That is fandom you cannot contain. No. When you involuntarily scream from a flag's name. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty hardcore. <laughs> So Josh and I had not read the short story before we got the chance to talk with you. So we both recently read it. And I'm curious, what drew you to do I Know What You Need? Okay, so being horror fans, I think you will understand this mindset. So there's a certain type of girl, say that kind of girl is me, who finds someone like Martin from Martin or Mm -hmm. Eric Binford from Fade to Black or Norman Bates this kind of adorable <laughs> fucked up psycho or like, <laughs> but like, but I mean, I don't, I'm not into Norman Bates, like after the reveal, like I'm talking like before, like yeah. when he's just this really adorable, like you can tell something's wrong with him, but you don't really know what it is. And you kind of want to like cuddle him. Mm-hmm. That's Edward. And like, even it was in the first paragraphs when he was describing Edward, I was like, yep, 
that's for me. And and so I was really in Elizabeth's shoes the whole time because I was like, yes, I am into this boy. I understand something weird is going on, but I'm totally into it. So for me, it's this complete, even though there's, you know, it's this line between love and obsession and, and how interesting and malleable that is. But it also, to me, you know, Edward has these powers that in Stephen King, when you have, you know, I don't, we don't know exactly what Edward's power is, the push or shining or whatever he has. Um, you use them for these big grandiose things, right? Like you have fire starter, you're going to use them to like bring down the shop or mm-hmm. you're going to shining. You're going to like save, you know, save everybody for true not or whatever it is. But in, I know what you need. He just wants to make her fall in love with him. Yeah. It's all he wants to do with this power. And to me, that's as psycho fucked up as it is, is also super romantic. And so I think that's, an interesting way to look at it. And I don't think many people look at that story that way. I think most people, you know, and obviously like once we find out what his deal is, like, you know, again, not into it, but it's that <laughs> build up of this character. Um, and so I really, and I think, you know, you have a, I, I'm setting it in 1976 uh, when the story awesome. was first published in mm-hmm. Cosmopolitan magazine, because I think for narrative reasons, it kind of has to be because if the internet exists, right. the story kind of doesn't work. Yeah. Um, but I also just want i think that aesthetic is important to that story i think it's this very beautiful time and place um and then the cherry on top is uh the university of maine has agreed to let me film there so i will be filming this short film in the exact locations mentioned in the story so the library that that first scene is in will be in that actual library in that (laughs) in university of maine which i give it gave me goosebumps just to say it (laughs) hot dog what a what a opportunity I'm very excited uh, after reading it. You had mentioned uh, in your Indiegogo campaign video that uh, because it is going to be a Stephen King story told through your eyes, it's seeing this story from a woman's perspective. uh, How do you feel like that is going to, uh, how strongly do you think that's going to impact the final vision? Well, I think it's going to be interesting because like I mentioned, I don't think the majority of women have that view on this character i think you don't you know because i honestly thought we covered um psycho on the podcast and until then like i had thought really i was the only person who was into norman bates and then all these other women were like nope into it. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. it's not just me i think you know it, it there is this this very uncomfortable you know he is using her in a way and 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 there is this you know very stalkery manipulative of course angle to it and so i think it's a different way to look at it. I just don't, I don't, I feel like this, this way of, of looking at Edward as kind of a sympathetic character and looking at it as more of a love story than a horror story. Although there of course are horror elements to it. And so it will, although it will be uh, dialogue wise, faithful, faithful to the story completely. I think the feeling of it will be unique to me because I don't know. And that, like I mentioned, like, you know, there are these, all these different adaptations that do it differently. And then, and the, I want this to be, Julia's version of the story, which is what all of these dollar babies are, right? That's the way you want to tell the story. Um, and so mine's going to be unique. And, I, and I'm, a, I'm a little, I'm interested to talk to other people about the story because I don't think anybody sees it the way I do. What did you think about it? I was so, <laughs> this is not going to surprise Josh in the least because of how I responded to Misery and Annie Wilkes. I was so nervous to talk to you today because I was reading this story And I was kind of having these weird emotional experiences when when Beth was or Liz, 
was finding out kind of, you know, the story was picking up and I was like, well, I mean, if that happened to me, part of me would kind of be like, okay, cool. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> I, that I love how, you know, thoughtful you are and you know exactly what I want. And I was trying to figure out, is there something wrong with me? Right. <laughs> so no, I'm it, it, yeah, because it is this kind of perfect lover, right? Like yeah. they know what you want before you know that. And so is there anything wrong with that? And then if you take that kind of further, I think about like, what if Edward's plan had completely worked and now he's kind of stuck in this role for the rest of his life. That's not really him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like living in this house. That's not really what he is. And the, like, he's hiding himself. And so he kind of makes a prisoner of himself in doing this as well, which yeah. is uh, interesting. I, he's what a deep, like deep complex character. And like what, a, and it's great that he's just still in the midst of it all kind of a fuck up. Like there's so yeah. many things it does, like it gives you know, all these tells it gives himself away. And I'm like, Edward, man, what are you doing? He's not like, smooth. No, he's, no. He's but not. I think that's what I like about him. Cause yeah. like you see from his appearance first off, like, uh, uh he doesn't really have it together. Mm-hmm. You know, so someone that doesn't really have it together, all of a sudden having everything right, but then inside know that that's not really who they are. So it's, you know, it's, I, I'm sympathetic to him. I'm sympathetic to her. I'm sympathetic to Alice, who mm-hmm. I think quite possibly is in love with Elizabeth. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I would buy that. It's so, I, I love that idea of Edward trapping himself because it just gives it this added twisted romantic layer. I'm so excited to see well, what you do. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm really glad that you you keep using the word sympathetic because that is something I feel like an adaptation could easily miss in regards to, to Edward. I mean, the, for instance, without diving too deep into all of the details of the book, like when she's when she goes through his closet, it is clear that he still doesn't understand everything about what he does. Mm-hmm. And so he's still like he's still learning. And there is something you can see it's him trying his best, even though he just doesn't realize his best is real fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's completely it. Uh-huh. And I think that, yeah, I think that's that's amazing. The Alice, Alice's story and Alice's role to play in it, mm-hmm. I think is fantastic. Because that's also the that scene between them in that reveal is so truthful. Like is somebody really like saying, I'm gonna tell you some stuff you don't wanna know. And like seeing them hash it out that way mm-hmm. and it not turn into the tropey, uh, you give me this piece of information and I storm out without all the rest of it. And then the the scare happens. Well, it is a very talky story. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I'm not afraid of at all. Um, my favorite kind of movies are kind of people in rooms. Mm-hmm. So something like The Breakfast Club or 12 Angry Men or something where it's just about these characters. And so I'm not, and, and, you know, because it's, I want it to feel as authentically seventies pacing in the seventies wasn't as fast as it is now. Yeah. Like it's a slower pace and they're not afraid to kind of hang on moments and hang on conversation. So that's kind of what I'm emulating. And that scene between them, uh, Alice and Elizabeth, I got a long scene. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what though? Like, I don't want it to be this kind of flashy, like flash to the, the car accident, <laughs> flash to the craziness. I'm like, I don't really need that. I feel like just having them talk and, and see, would be enough. I have one more specific plot related question for you. Gotcha. When the the scene in Edward's apartment, yeah. Do you think as we've this just occurred to me because you talked about him making a prisoner of himself? Do you think when that reveal happens, like in in the dialogue, it's very aggressive? Mm-hmm. 
But do you think there's a sense of relief in him uh, at that moment? No, I don't think so. I, I've never really thought about that, but I, I feel like he's so thrown off. I feel yeah. like yeah, for something who he should have known, right? Like he knows everything. <laughs> why, why, yeah. why did he not know <laughs> that she was coming? Of course he should have known, but he doesn't. And I think the one, you know, because as I said, I'm trying to keep it very faithful, but the one change that I felt strongly I needed to make was at the end, Elizabeth doesn't reply. Like he says what he says oh. and she leaves. And I'm like, uh-uh, no, no, no. She's got to say what she feels. And yeah. so that's the one that I was like, that's got to be different. Nice. But everything else is the kind of the same. I like that she, change a lot. She never gets to see how she feels about him, really. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a very interesting character because she's very passive. And she just kind of floats from Edward to Alice to Tony to like whoever really is pushing her. And she, you know, we talk about how pushy Tony is and how pushy Edward is, and she's just being pushed along. And I think, you know, it's important to say at the end that she's not going to take that anymore. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, if people want to see your dollar baby, well, they're going to have to be a part of your Indiegogo campaign. So can you tell us a little bit about your Indiegogo campaign and how it came to be that you put this all together? I loved I Know What You Need. It's my very favorite short story. And I got a wild hair to be like, I wonder if I can adapt this story. So I emailed that you can go on stephenking.com. They have a dollar baby tab. And they have the uh, shorts that are up there for adaptation. And then you just send in a a letter and I got a reply. So I really kind of expected not to. And I was very (laughs) surprised. That, and it was, you know, it was just kind of quickly. And so it's this, so it, the, but there's a contract in the, and then you do sign it with Stephen King and you send a dollar to his house and you, the rules are, are very stringent. So it has to be a year, it's a year contract, 45 minutes or under nonprofit, non-broadcast. So I you can't sell it. You can't show it online. It has to be only in film festivals or private screenings, which is why through the Indiegogo campaign that you can, when you want to see the film, it's a live stream instead of a link. And these, because these are all very specific things that Mm -hmm. you have to go by. Um, And so I asked and I felt like, you know, I I believe in like you get in life, but you have the courage to ask for. And I think Mm -hmm. most people just wouldn't ask. And I just asked and I got yes. So I knew, so then I asked uh, university of Maine and they said yes. And then I was like, well, that's great. So that's a big bonus because I know how, exciting that is as a constant reader. Yeah. So uh, then I just was, so I had actually was going to launch in April of 2020. And then that seemed like a very bad time. To <laughs> so I waited a bit. Um, and then I got my contract ex- extended for another year. And so I know still it's an awkward time to launch something like this because people are obviously we're in a pandemic and a lot of people have lost their jobs or unemployment. And I, and I understand and I felt, I feel awkward about that, but I also feel like a, it's a year contract, so it's now or never. And B, if 2020 isn't the year to chase your dreams, I don't yeah. know when is. Absolutely. This is something, it's been so grim, and this is something that I have hope for, something I'm looking forward to. Something that, okay, things may be as they are, but I get to make my favorite Stephen King short, and that is enough to kind of get me through. And hopefully the Indiegogo will succeed and then that'll go forward. But that's yet. It remains to be seen. <laughs> this, this is recorded at a time where we do not know yet what will happen, what the outcome is, but perhaps you in the future will already know the outcome. (laughs) (laughs) I think right now too, like for me personally, even despite the hardships that COVID has caused, I really now more than ever want to support people in their projects. So even though it seems like people might not be as willing to put money out there, 
I feel like a lot of people are into that. They're like, yeah, it makes me feel good to support something that an individual is doing. So I, I'm very hopeful that you will get all that. Thank you. Well, I think also, you know, sharing is just as important. You know, mm-hmm. what, what crowdfunding is really about is just letting, spreading the word. And, you know, thank you for helping me do that with this as well. But, you know, it's just about being online and being on Twitter and being on Instagram and being on Facebook and talking to people and responding to people. And it becomes kind of like a full-time, part-time job where you're like, okay, I'm doing my job job. I'm doing this. This is my job job for now. And really, but, you know, it's such such a delight to me because this is my passion. Mm-hmm. And if you look back on my social media feed, you will see for the past two and a half years, every, you know, I, I have a picture with everyone I've read. And then, you know, here are my <laughs> Stephen King Sunday posts that I do every Sunday. And so it's not coming from someplace who just wants to make like a quick buck on a Stephen King thing. I'm like, this is coming from the heart, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, please help me make this thing. And I think that I can make it great. I also think you can make it great. I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited to to follow you along this journey. And I, I'm glad that I assume as you get into production, we'll see some uh, behind the scenes stuff as everything starts to get going up. And Sure. And I'm, I'm very excited for casting as well. Because I feel like you only have three characters. Right? Yeah. So you have to pick yeah. some. They have to be spot on. <laughs> Because I remember my dad, uh, when he was reading the script, uh, the scene where she first goes into Edward's apartment and there's the kind of a passage about how things don't look right and like so she can tell something's off just from like now she's looking at it from a different perspective. My dad was like, I don't think an actress could do that. And I was like, oh, I think they can. I, think they, I have faith in them. As an actor, I know like I don't know if I could portray it properly, but someone can. But that, yeah, that's that's going to be a huge task to undertake. Uh, but I've never cast a film before, so I'm really looking forward to it and finding the characters that kind of fit in my head. Right now, I kind of I, I kind of see Christine era Keith Gordon as Edward. It's kind of in my head. Nice. But I, Keith, I, Keith Gordon's always in my head. So. <laughs> <laughs> so after this this project is complete, because uh, if I remember right, the plan for actual on-site filming and everything is October 2021. Like a year uh, summer twenty twenty. Summer twenty twenty one. In the middle when the when all the students are gone, we'll be filming gotcha. in those dorms as well. Um, and you can go online and look at the dorms; they're amazing. They look like they're from nineteen seventy six. It's so perfect. <laughs> oh, it makes my heart so happy. That's amazing. So, what is after you are all done and this is complete? What's the the next step? What's the next plan for this? So then it goes into film festivals uh, and does that run. And then it gets sent to Stephen King and he watches it. And I don't know if he answers or what, uh, but it's, you know, the Frank Darabont dream that we all have as Dolly (laughs) Dolly Brady filmmakers is that you'll make something good enough to make his his ears perk up, you know? And then he's going to send you a letter back and he's like, this is great but you didn't have a father shoot his child in a van and then get out. So I, uh, I'm sorry. It's not going to be good enough. <laughs> well, he's got some dark endings too. Yeah. yeah I mean, right. Cujo ain't no joke, man. Oh, Damn Jesus. though. Uh, yeah. Covering that book's going to be, I can't. <laughs> like now, the ending of Cujo is one of the movies that I'm like, I'm glad you changed that. Thank you for changing that. <laughs> Now, uh, we, we've talked the the hardships that COVID has really put us under this past year with so many creative outlets being almost impossible to do and the way we're used to doing them. What effect do you see this pandemic having on the entertainment industry? That's a really depressing question. I'm it sorry. really is. It, it, no, because it's, it, you know, movies are cinema, especially because, you know, out of print, my film is all about 
the importance of revival cinema, watching it with an audience. That's the whole thing. So to have that, which is my favorite thing in the world taken away and then kind of indefinitely. And then even when it does come back, it's like, Oh, you know, drip drabs, social distancing won't be full kind of stuff. Like it's been heartbreaking to me. And to think of all of the the tiny theaters that aren't going to open back up, it really breaks my heart. Like I feel it hurt my heart and I don't want that to happen. And I don't know how it doesn't. So when I first, like when, when it first happened in March, I, I have this really bad habit of just like, I see everything unfold really far in, in, in the future. So then I was like, Oh no, like this is not going to be good because it's, you know, there's the Hollywood studios that will do what they do. Independent filmmakers will probably not be affected too much, but it is the cinemas themselves that mm-hmm. are the things that are the most upsetting to me. Cause I, of course I've been watching movies on my laptop and on my TV and I have a VHS collection that I've been watching and, but sitting by myself watching a movie doesn't feel good. It yeah. feels kind of sad. And like the set, I went to the drive-in, which I'm so happy that the drive-ins are like rolling in dough now. Yay for that. Yeah. That makes me very happy. <laughs> but I did, I went to the drive-in by myself and then it was even more depressing. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm surrounded by all these people, but I can't see or talk hear anybody and now I'm just in my own little car by myself I was like oh this is even sadder (laughs) (laughs) so you know my heart really goes out to the independent cinemas that I are not going to come back because I really wish we would like get things rolling so we could really but I just know just now I think they are re-shutting down stuff in Canada so I know um, the Mayfair cinema that Mayfair Theater that are awesome up there in Ottawa. And I know they just had to re-shut down. So even like opening and the closing. So, but then like in London, the Prince Charles is just opening. So it's just kind of all over the place, but America is just so far behind mm-hmm. that it's going to be a while. Yeah. Well, let's uh, end things on a bit of a higher note. Uh, the last we're not going to do like a missed ending. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> talk about how all cinemas are dying. Right. <laughs> well, that's it. And then my house burns down. Yeah, right. <laughs> burn it all down, yeah. baby. What interests you and inspires you right now? The most fascinating thing about doing this crowdfunding campaign has been people who I thought had forgotten about me in my life coming forward to support me, which has been incredible. A woman who I haven't seen since I was 17 years old, she donated and she got back in touch with me and was just like, it's so amazing what you're doing. So that, and then the the constant readers being behind it, because that's this thing where when I first started, like, uh, I don't know, like that's kind of the make or break point. Is it something that the Stephen, true Stephen King fans are going to be behind? And everyone has been. And so I'm terrible, so inspired by all of these folks who are willing to come together and support someone who has this silly dream. And I know it, you know, on the grand scheme of things, making a Stephen King film, eh, whatever that's, no, no, you know, bigger fish to fry. But in my life, it means so much. And so something that can give an artist hope when it looks quite hopeless. I think that that's pretty cool. That's a fantastic answer. And I, uh, I want to thank you again, Julia, for making the time to come talk to us. Uh, I'm so happy we could have this conversation and I'm so happy that we can find a way to be a part of and support you on this journey. Cause I think I speak for CM when I think we both believe you are going to crush it. And <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and when we say support you on this journey, we actually mean that because dairy public radio is definitely going to donate 
to your campaign, we have amazing fans. I think you can say that about any Stephen King fan. Right, yeah. And they support us so wonderfully. We are going to pay it forward and we are going to donate to you. And we encourage our fans to follow our lead and check out your campaign. Wow, thank you, guys. It's been, uh, I feel so good now. <laughs> now, you've made my, now my heart feels happy. Thank you. Fantastic. And I, get, I will talk about Stephen King literally all day. So anytime you want me on there, I will be on there quite happily. Absolutely. Well, it would be awesome to talk to you again after you've completed your journey and, and just see how, you know, talk about how things went and yeah. what you got how out of the experience. How different it will be in my mind, too. On the <laughs> yeah. Uh, Julia, thank you so much one last time for joining us. It has been so, so delightful. That's it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about Julia Marchesi and all of her amazing projects, we will link those in the show notes. If you'd like to donate to her dollar baby, head to Indiegogo and search for I Know What You Need. CM and I will be right there with you. Reminder, this campaign is only running until October 24th, so make those donations now. Until next time. For CM Alexander, this is Joshua Kahn, wishing you long days and pleasant nights. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to this bonus episode. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find out more about Julia at her website, juliamarchesi.com. That's J-U-L-I-A-M-A-R-C-H-E-S-E.com. And please check out her Dollar Baby campaign by going to Indiegogo.com and searching I Know What You Need. We will have a link to all of this on our social media. And if you'd like more information, please feel free to email us and we can point you in the right direction. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.